the Voice America Business Channel. Are you ready for operational excellence? Welcome to the Visual Workplace, work that makes sense, where your host and visual workplace expert, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, shares powerful visual principles and practices to optimize your operations and make them safer, faster, better, and far less costly. The Visual Workplace. You can't get to excellence without it. Now, here's Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. Hi, this is Gwendolyn. Welcome to the Visual Workplace. I am your host on this show where we broadcast weekly some part of our understanding about the Visual Workplace, about letting the workplace speak. In each of our shows, we look at some aspect of that, of how to embed the intelligence of our operational system into the living landscape of work through visual devices. Why? So we can work with focus and precision, high safety and pace, high quality. Our company can make a good profit and an even even better profit margins increasingly better profit margins, and so we can enjoy ourselves along the way, so we can enjoy ourselves at work. Visuality is the ground in which the system of your operations resides. It is the language of your operational system embedded into the physical landscape of work. It is a language of information sharing, but it's information sharing through the senses, through the eyes, through the sense of smell, through touch, through sound, through taste. Sometimes we put uh, we put good taste in bad medicine <laughs> and we give it to our kids. We make it cherry flavored. They drink it. They love it. Or we put a nasty smell in something we don't want the same kid to ingest because it's bad for them. Right? And these sensory mechanisms send messages that change our behavior. And when we do visuality deeply, we have messages that are on the surface of the workplace, things like addresses and borders that give us very immediate information, but we also, as we get more and more sophisticated and we understand how we can impact and change our behavior through visuality, which is really sensory, sensory. I was going to sense, say sensuality, but I know I'm going to get in big trouble if I call them sensual devices. Your boss will say, oh, no, you don't, not on my time. <laughs> but, but when we begin to embed information deeply into the landscape of work, these messages that send information to our senses begin to impact our behavior. And in impacting our behavior, what I'm really saying is it impacts our, our performance. Impacts our, before, our performance in a positive way. You could create a negative visual environment and impact people's performance against your key performance indicators, against your KPIs. You could construct such a thing. You could sabotage it if you were clever enough and elegant enough. People would say, why am I performing so badly? And it's because your body, your senses, is picking up cues that's impacting that. So in visuality, we're really taking advantage of this wonderful chemical, physical event we call our body and our senses, which you barely notice at all. And we're harnessing them for business benefit, but also so that we can flow in our work, 
so that we can have a sense of harmony and alignment and connectivity. So we can enjoy ourselves at work is a shorthand for that. The visual workplace is a system of those systems. It is the ground in which your operational systems reside. Not just point solutions, although they can be clever and interesting, but truly a language of information sharing. Not just devices strung together, such as separate words, but really the conveyance of meaning, of relevant timely information that influences, shapes, directs, and expresses. And the result is we express. We can express ourselves seamlessly. So today we're going to continue our focus. We're doing a series on smart placement, which is the location of function, the intentional location of function in order to be able to clear the flow, increase the flow, accelerate the flow, deaccelerate the flow at will. This is the fourth show in our series, which describes a way to recognize the importance of the placement of things, because when we are placing things, we are really placing function, functionality, and how to harness that for business benefit. When I do this work, I do it as part of what you might call 5S, but many, many of the folks who have learned this technique just use it as a standalone methodology, kind of sub-methodology, because it is such an excellent way to clarify the environment and really see how to utilize and optimize the physical environment. Today we have moved along on our journey and we're going to begin our focus on a set of specific smart placement principles. There are 14 of them. It'll take us two shows at least to get through them. I think you'll find them very interesting. The first set is very, very concrete. second set is more conceptual. It's all about thinking. And as a viewing, well, let me just, let me make my announcements first and then we'll, uh, we'll jump into this because I can, I see that I am getting into the detail when I have one, just a couple of announcements. First, I want to thank you all for your emails. Many of them on last week's show on our smart placement mapping. We, would, we did the dream map or the could be map. And sev- several of you mentioned that you saw a new way to use the usual so-called spaghetti mapping. Mm-hmm. And that you saw that you would be able to not just look at the spaghetti, but look at the triggers of the spaghetti. The spaghetti being the motion moving without working. And look at the triggers and understand that the triggers were because of the placement of function. There are other figures, but in this mapping, we are looking at the figures that are triggered by the layout of function. Others of you wrote, thank you very much, I love your emails, because you found my take on consensus useful. Remember? I defined it as the act of search for disagreement until enough agreement is met for us to move forward together. And I'm glad that was useful to you. We'll just touch upon it again today as we summarize. And the second announcement is just to remind you that I have sent you out all an invitation to my keynote on Wednesday, February the 20th at the Lean and Six Sigma World Conference in San Diego and to the post-conference workshop that I'll be conducting on that Friday, February the 22nd. It's an overview of some of the foundational practices in my approach to workplace visuality and a walk through the 10 doorways. should be very interesting. There's a flyer on the, this workshop on our homepage at visualworkplace.com. The lower right, you'll see it. If you're interested, I hope you are and I hope you join us. And again, thank you for your emails. So let's jump off, jump, jump into where we left off last week. The topic, smart placement, the purpose is to share the details of the methodology. I am walking you through the methodology 
When we do this, when we do the what is map, it takes about two and a half, three hours. When we do the could could be map, if it's done in a running session, it's about three hours, maybe sometimes four, and there's a presentation. Or you can split it up. But it's enormously important, I have found, the methodology is in grooming the thinking of operators that think of higher level a higher level conceptualization of their work area. And we will continue over the next few weeks to reveal this in its telling detail, we hope. And you'll remember that about two decades ago, I was telling you the story. I went in search of the beating heart of this plain old 5S step known as set things in order. In my mind, even then, 5S was not about neat and clean and orderly. It was the foundation of visuality. And I couldn't see how this step lent to it. It felt more like my mother saying, gingerbread, clean up your room. And I thought there must be something else there because otherwise it's just clean up your room, be neat and tidy. But it wasn't clear. I knew that there had to be a way to use that step to advance the visual component. Because it had, because 5S has to reach a visual level of application. Why? Really, only because I say so. And I want to explain that. This is not the Japanese way. This is not traditional 5S. But it is why in the West we've run into trouble with 5S. In Japan, 5S is not a platform for visuality. They use it to create a basic orderliness, retrievability, a certain very minimal level of transparency, but not true transparency. Just the beginning. They lift a few veils. And one of the reasons this is so is because the Japanese, I'm talking about the strong companies that have robust production systems, have so many other ways to get visual. The devices are part of their approach. The andons, the kanbans, the production control boards, but they never codified their visual devices into a single framework of thinking. That was the glorious gift that I was given to unwrap, codifying visuality, finding a language for it, finding the language in it, constructing definitions and principles and practices. Because, you know, I slipped into the Borg mind. Remember we talked about Borg, B-O-R-G, the kind of mind that turns everything into vanilla, into the Borg mind about 5S in the 1980s. I tried to do it based on the Japanese book, and it didn't work in the West. It was boring, and in many ways, even though the Japanese are so uh, aligned with the principle, the value of empowerment and respect for people, it felt disrespectful. It turned adults into children. It turned women into raving maniacs. Boy, they sure didn't like be, being pushed around to clean up the house. And it turned the men into just really dis, disgruntlement. So as I delved into traditional 5S, I saw glimmers that it would be possible for an operator to contribute to more than just clearing out the clutter, sticking labels and lines and what was left. I saw the opportunity for thinking, for thinking, for analysis, and out of that, inventiveness and business benefit. And you know, the lever that I use is motion. That's the name of the waste in my model, moving without working. It's one of the traditional Toyota wastes, but I thought 
this is the perfect way to describe what happens when information is missing. And basically, when you get down to the visual part of 5S, we're talking about embedding information, your addresses and your, and your, and your borders. So one day, as I was looking at the friendly old set things in order, I realized that there was a decision to make about the idea of order that could be helpful, even, wow, even revolutionary. And that was when I made the big jump and I saw, you know, order is really about the placement of function. Bingo. Function. The function of things in the workplace. They, it isn't a machine, it's a conversion function. It isn't a desk, it's the paperwork function. It isn't a, a table, it's the cutting function, if you're cutting stuff on it. And that was the key, to capture the function, the function of things. I really, really uh, uh, began to unnest this, and it, what happened as a result was it began to inform me that I could go further and further, until I had a sub-methodology, which in the 1995 or so we captured in a video series, our visual workplace, visual order video system, and that kind of marked the place. But then it's been 15 years and I've been developing it. So it's about not just the location of function, but its impact on flow. And then the impact on flow of the network of function, the network of function, and we call that relationship. Right? Relationship. The tension between functions the quality and speed of the flow between those relationships. Fantastic. And that led me to the maps. And the maps and the maps are what we did last week. Last week we talked about, well, I'm going to just hit the highlights. Highlight number one. There are two maps. The what is map, which is a snapshot of the past, shows you where, I'm sorry, it's a snapshot of the current the what is state, where things are now, and their relationship, and we trace a path between them. And remember, the way we capture function is in four meaningful categories. Yellow, and we're doing this through post-its, so they're movable, and we can cut their shape and whatever. Yellow means you can't move it, it's bolted in, it's too dangerous to move, it's too heavy, you're going to need authorization. It might be wired in. Blue means easy to move. You and me. Me and Chad, we can do it together. Maybe Marianne. Pink means it's whip. Highly movable. Green means consumable. Also highly movable. Consumable bubble wrap and cardboard and stuff we just use up. Rags and gloves and whatever. And on the basis of that, we lay out our map as it is. We take that snapshot. We study it. And we see things in it because we study it. We reach for insight, and the insight comes jumping up into our mind. Ah, we get it. Now I see why it takes me so long. Now I see why there's so much motion, moving without working. I get it. Okay, I'm going to summarize the second map. We're sliding into a break. I shall be right back, and I hope you will too. Thanks.
Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. It's Gwendolyn. Welcome to the second part of the Visual Workplace this week. We're just summarizing what happened over the last couple of weeks in the mapping. Today, we're going to start applying the principles. So we got our first map. It's a snapshot. We get insight. We understand. It's complicated. We're not very, we haven't thus far been very smart about the location of function. The second map, which starts identical, identical to the first map, has a different name and a different purpose. Its name is the could-be map or the dream map, and it is our playground. It is our sandbox. We can mess around with it, and we can imagine a different future, a better future, an improved future. How? By moving those post-its around except for the yellows, which need authorization. We can move everything else around, and we can improve the flow by improving the function the layout of function. We break up the rocks. We liberate the flow. We apply the principles that we're going to be starting today. And operators do this. They do it because they can, and they do it because we let them. We empower them. Do it. We're interested. And we set down some ground rules. And we say, you know what? You know you can't touch the yellows, and it really is not yet. After folks have kind of exhausted the possibilities of the yellow, of the blues, the pinks, and the greens, then we say, okay, show us what you got for the yellows. Because sometimes it really is not only interesting, but it does get authorized. But we don't begin there. The second rule is you got to listen to each other. You got to tolerate listening to each other and hearing each other out. No one gets to dominate. And the third ground rule is you are not allowed to bludgeon somebody to your point of view. If you really can't persuade people to adopt your point of view or even like it, then we will help you develop a minority report. You can develop a map of your own and present your point of view 
Okay? So we just separate that out. This is not a consensus exercise. Last week I mentioned there were three different renditions of the same cable department. And if a very clever woman, Deanna Butler, hadn't understood about consensus, there would have been war in that department. I'll tell you that story in a little bit. Maybe this week, maybe next week. Okay? But now we're very dynamically in our imaginations. And many people in their hope are changing the reality, are imagining through this map very concretely. It's like when you're playing paper dolls when you're a kid. That's real. You know, those paper dolls are real. I remember sitting in my lawn when I was just four or five and opening the grass and and imagining little people in the grass by moving little pebbles around or turning a a four-leaf or three-leaf clover into a king or queen or monster. That was so real for me. That ability is still ours. And in the mapping process, we are right there. The whole thing is alive. And because of that, we have these four people process tools to help keep things down to a roar because, you know, we're with other humans at the table. One of them is brainstorming, share your ideas, accept all of the ideas, don't call somebody else's ideas dumb, keep your nonverbal comments to yourself, no squirming or sighing or muttering or, muttering or rolling your eyes. That's the first of the four. Second was, is appoint a gatekeeper and you facilitators and trainers, you got to keep your nose to this. If you see the table is in trouble or you know that there are voices that are not being heard, you just you say, okay, pull something out of the hat. Whoever gets the, the little pink uh, 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 stone, you get to be the gatekeeper. You make it very, very democratic. You make it very democratic. Okay, and then there they go. They have a gatekeeper. You use a talking stick if things get really rambunctious. And did I tell you about this at Trailmobile? At Trailmobile, this company had just shifted from being a privately held, uh, it was, uh, uh, Trailmobile had just acquired it from a private owner and it, the place was full of fear. It was being run previously, this is in Toronto, by somebody with a very, very heavy hand. He answered all the questions. No questions were asked. You could always get a definitive answer on anything from what did you want to have for lunch to how do I handle this uh, customer or this supplier or this order. And all of a sudden these guys were in a kind of parody situation where they were allowed to be themselves and we started doing this mapping. This was forklift drivers. And they, you know, there's a lot of heavy forklift driving when you're making uh, trailers. A lot of metal is moving across the floor. And I, I looked over and I saw this guy who was already very wired. I was wondering, well, what did he have for breakfast? He was already wired. He was, he had his knee up on the table and he was reaching for somebody's throat. Well, I didn't want to disrupt the whole class, so I just went went over and I took my shoe off and I said, this is a talking stick. Whoever gets to hold this talking stick can speak it. The rest of you, you be quiet. And then I went on to say, listen, this is a very honored Native American approach. And they copped to it. They said, okay, okay, you know, at least we won't kill each other before the day is out. They knew that they were being rambunctious. Whoever holds a stick speaks. 
And when they're finished speaking, they put it in the center of the table. And, of course, seven other people lunge for it. But eventually everyone will have their turn to speak, and they'll speak in silence. And it's really important when you're trying to air differing opinions. It's really important. And sometimes people hold the stick and they just are silent, whatever, however, however they want to use the time. And then you keep putting it back until nobody picks it up, and then you're ready to move on. If you want to carry out consensus, this is a really good way to start surfacing the opposition and giving people a chance to talk and be uninterrupted. So those people process tools, the fourth of which is the act of search for disagreement until enough agreement is met. But that does not happen. You do not need to agree on the layout. If you are opposed to the layout and you find that the personal relationships are breaking down during the mapping process, just move over and do your own report. If you've got a good trainer or facilitator in the room, they'll grab somebody else who's been in the room as an observer or another coach, and that person will sit down with you and help you catch up. So, The map is there. The people are ready. They know that they're going to have to sort of behave themselves. And now we begin to look at the principles. Okay? We begin to look at these principles. And we apply the principles to the could-be map, to the dream map. And the purpose of applying the principles, of course, is to reduce the motion, to clear up the flow, disentangle the flow. In smart placement, we look for ways to take a bite out of motion caused by the unintentional location of things, of functions in your area. So when you apply these principles, you will discover ways to accelerate the flow. The flow of what? Materials, people, information in and through and out of your area simply by improving the placement of that function, by improving those locations. So I'm going to go through these principles. And as I announced last week, I've never shared these publicly before. They're my little babies, but it's time. I probably am going to be another 40 years on the planet, and I want to start sharing everything that I have now. It's one of the great glories of this radio show, that I'm able to really reach people that I would never have a chance to share what I've learned with. And I can do it through this radio show. How wonderful is that? So the first set, the ones we're going to start today, are pretty, they're the kind of easy-to-make changes on a basic level. You still should consider them. The second set are more conceptual. They're more abstract. And though these aren't harder to implement, the second set is sometimes more challenging to discover how they apply. So as a result of that, you know what's going to improve your thinking? Your ability to think visually will be increased by the second set, help you to see more deeply and more completely, help you to see the layers. When we do this in a classroom, as I I or a teacher, another teacher, facilitator, walks through each principle or through our webinars, we have this completely on big screen webinars that are are pre-recorded. Each principle is walked through and we show some examples and I'll explain them to you. We've done so well, we've been almost a year and a half now, over a year and a half, doing a radio show on visuality, so I know that you'll understand what I describe. And you and, and people at the table, I'll call it you, you look for ways to apply it to your own work area, your own map. 
You can work solo if you're doing minority. You can work in teams. If you do a minority report, you can usually work by yourself. Okay, so the map is spread across the table. The could-be map is, the, the second map. The first map is on the wall to remind you where things are right now. Just taped up on the wall. And remember, smart placement begins with thinking. Only after you have considered all the principles will you decide which actual changes to undertake. And then that sets you up to go visual. Those actual changes you'll keep track on a flip chart. And I'll explain that flip chart. It's pretty easy. And you'll consider them all at the end. And you'll say, this, this, not that, not sure about that. If you're with your group, you work that out. Okay, so I just want to say a word about when I said once you get those principles in place and you undertake the changes, then you get visual. Because I want to link in your mind this. Smart placement is an early and indispensable step on the way to visuality. Going visual means you add information to the functions you have smartly placed. Placing them smartly is important. Making that function visual and that placement visual is important, and then you go even further. All of this information is delivered visually without speaking a word as close to the point of use as possible through these things called visual devices. On the most complete level, the purpose of visual information is to show you at a glance how to use a function Safely, correctly, precisely, and entirely. Let me say that again. On the most complete level, the purpose of visual information, see what I said, is to show you how to use function. And I think I said it in this order. Safely, correctly, precisely, and entirely. In other words, you get to utilize the function. Visual devices help you do the right thing in the right way at the right time and safely. Or it prevents you from doing the opposite. Okay, so right after the break, we will begin with our first set of principles. We'll probably get through five today. Okay, see you in a minute. I'm having fun. Are you enjoying this? You know that I am. (laughs) I really love this stuff. Stay connected. Sign up for our newsletter. Go beyond your favorite Voice America shows. Visit iradioblog.com. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. 
Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. This is Gwendolyn. Hi. Welcome to the Visual Workplace, our third segment, and today we are going into some more of the details of smart placement, the location of function before we get visual. And I will also uh, say to you that we are now beginning the principles, which is the purpose of this show. So let's go to principle one. This one will be familiar to many of you, and I want to unnest it for you. The principle one is locate function at or near the point of use. Locate function at or near the point of use. Many of you use this at lean, this in lean, this idea of point of use. But it is the first one and it needs to be set on visual, in visual as well because it's very important. So you look at things in your work area and you think about how often you use them. Do I use it daily, weekly, monthly, yearly? And based on that answer, you determine how near to or far from the point of use that item should be, that function should be, should be located. In other words, how close to or far from, remember this word, your primary value field, where you add value. You have a primary value field, there's usually one in each department, and then you have supporting value fields where you add value. So how close to or far from your primary value field? If you use it daily or even hourly, you keep it very, very close. We call it at point of use. The work light. Work light is used all the time in an assembly area, and so it's situated on one of the assembly fixtures itself, on an I-beam or on a post nearby, an air hose. And an aerospace company, the air hose was put right under the fixture so that you could just reach down and pull it when you needed it. Point of use. Another air hose was actually, this was on a mezzanine level, so it was a second floor level. The guys actually put a hole in the floor and mounted the air hose in the floor. You know, it was underneath on the ceiling of the ground floor. And they pulled it through a hole. And right next to it, instead of having cords, they also put an electrical outlook, outlet. Okay? So it's point of use within easy reach. Embed the air hose into the floor. Make it very available. The closer to the point of use we can position these items that are used daily, the more safely and easily they can be used and the less and the less motion. So here's another thought. Here's think about your machine tools that you use for changeovers or maybe for adjustments. Now we're trying to turn all adjustments into settings, but on your way to that you may need your tools very frequently. And you 
you can put them on the face of, you can mount them right, make a little platform for them, and put them right on the face of your machine. On weekly use, so those, those are all daily, hourly, all the time point of use. Weekly use, you need something but only once a week, so you keep them in the area, maybe in a cabinet, so they're handy, but they're out of your immediate value field, so they don't get in the way. Monthly use, and this is sometimes, for example, dye if you're in manufacturing. The items get stored in a central location, close, but not in your work area. Okay, so you have a kind of outside area. It's kind of like in the yard, not in your kitchen. And the other thing that this begs, of course, is to move the items that aren't used in the past month really out of the area, put them into temporary storage, maybe even on a red pallet because maybe they're going to be one of those things that are on their way out as in red tagging. So if we were doing this in real time, with the map, uh, your, your dream map on the table and your what is map as a reminder on the wall, you would think of that principle and you would say, can I use this principle in my area? Can I use it? And I would stare, you would stare at your could be map and you would think about those changes and you would move things around. You would leave the yellows alone for now. You would make those changes. You would look at the blues, the pinks and the greens. And see if you could move them closer to the point of use. Let's go to principle two, because we're going to be able to tie these things together a little bit. I love principle number two. It's very plain, but it's so useful. It's called nothing on the floor, nothing on top. You already know where I'm going on this. Smart placement always puts safety first. So when you improve the flow of function, you are automatically improving safely. What we want to do with principle number two is really appreciate the floor as real estate. Sometimes we fail to see the actual floor as an asset. Instead, the floor is taken for granted, poor thing, and simply used to hold stuff. But if we view floors differently, they can be elevated in importance to become partners of our work. In fact, in my experience, a company's floor is the single most valuable operational real estate. And we have to see it as very valuable, just the way we do, we do with real estate and buying houses. So when I say nothing on the floor, I don't mean vacate the floor. I mean that the floor is used properly and intentionally. It is designed for use. It is designed to task. And these are principles that we use throughout visuality, design to task. One of the first steps in getting a maximum use out of the floor is to avoid putting items directly on it. So that's the big first thing. Nothing goes directly on the floor. And when you do this, you get four immediate paybacks. First of all, you can use the actual floor for work and for the supportive work. Secondly, when you don't put things directly on the floor, you automatically make moving them easier. In other words, we're going to put them on a pallet. We're going to put them on wheels. But they're not sitting on the floor. There's no grip. When they sit directly on the floor, we got to get our little fingers under it. 
Floor surfaces also become much easier to clean and maintain because you can move things if they're not sitting directly on the floor. And fourth, when you target nothing on the floor, stumbling and stubbed toes and other such accidents are minimized. So let's talk about several ways of achieving nothing on the floor. And I just said one of them. You put it on a pallet or you put it in a bin. Instead of putting an item directly on the floor, you put it on a pallet. You put it in a bin. This is especially helpful for multiple items and also for heavy items. Do this and then you can change their location by simply moving the pallet or bin. Instead of one by one moving the things they, that they contain. So we've minimized motion, we've minimized time, we've improved safety, we've been, we've, we're on our way to creating a flexible flow. Another way to deal with nothing on the floor is to make it airborne. Get the item off the floor completely and permanently. As long as you're not impairing the function or the safety of that item. For example, a fan can stand on the floor or even on your workbench. But what about mounting it on a bracket a bracket that you put on your bench or a bracket that's already on the bench, a sturdy bracket? You get the added benefit of not taking up valuable floor space or work surface space. Do you see what I mean? So these are simple changes in the location of function where you change the location and you've liberated something else. You leave it free. You've, you've liberated it. It's now unobstructed. You know, I remember seeing Allen wrenches, this really beautiful laid-out bench. And the Allen wrenches were in an upper corner against a beautiful blue backboard. There was a, a lovely borders around it and other small implements on this workbench. And we were talking about making things airborne. And I'll be darned, next time I came back to that plant, those Allen wrenches in the same holder, that holder was now affixed to the, to the backboard, which was a kind of metal pegboard. And it was taken off of the bench surface itself. The woman who worked there had cleared the value field, and she also made those wrenches handier, even handier, by making them airborne positioning them on the backboard. A third way to get it off the floor is to use the wall. And in a moment, I'm going to say, if you don't have a wall, build a wall. Use the wall. Take it off of the floor and make the wall a place that you border. So you put the placement, you place the items, and I'm thinking specifically of a maintenance shop. You place your belts and your sanding uh, blades and your plastic tubing, you place it on the wall, you put the borders around it, and you put your addresses, and you're utilizing the, war, the wall. One, what I call that is the utilization of negative space. Space that formerly was costing the company money is now making a contribution. Space that normally was just doing nothing and nobody even knew it had a, a, a capability you are now making it make a contribution. Fantastic. So that's number three. The first is 
to put it on a pallet or a bin. The second is to make it airborne. The third is to use a wall. And the fourth is to build a wall if you don't have one. No spare wall space, build it. Lots of examples of this. You create a partition or a backboard. You do it out of metal. You do it out of wood. You have a rack. You put it on wheels. Or you simply build a blue uh, a, a fixture. So you can pick those things up and you take them off of the floor and make them airborne. Fantastic. Now that's the first half of principle two. Nothing on the floor, nothing on top. Let's talk about nothing on top. Ah, wait a minute. I'm supposed to go into a break. I forgot. <laughs> I'm getting so so wrapped up in this. So I bet you could hardly wait. Nothing on top. I wonder what that means. Please come back and join us for the last segment of our show, The Visual Workplace. See you in a minute. This is Gwendolyn. online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. Are you ready to bring the power of the visual workplace to your company? Gwendolyn Galsworth, visual workplace expert and award-winning author, is available to help you harness and maximize that power. With nearly 30 years of hands-on experience, Dr. Galsworth shows you how through in-house seminars, site assessments, total company conversions, keynotes, coaching, and consulting. Learn about visuality through our books, DVDs, on-demand webinars, visual edge learning packages, and a host of other teaching materials. Enroll in the Visual Lean Institute and get trained and licensed as an instructor or QMI affiliate in any of our nine core visual workplace courses. Keep your visual workplace going and growing. Visit our website at visualworkplace.com to learn more about workplace visuality, our products and services, and when Gwendolyn will be presenting near you. That website again is visualworkplace.com. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense with Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to radio at visualworkplace.com. Now, back to the program. Okay. Hi, it's Gwendolyn. I can hardly wait to tell you about this. (laughs) Nothing on top. Oh, no, no, no. I don't mean that. No, 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 no. I just realized I'm getting too excited about the wrong words. Welcome back to the Visual Workplace. We're doing Principles of Smart Placement. So the second part of Principle 2 says nothing on top. And have you noticed the tops of cabinets and the high sh- those high shelves? They're like junk magnets. They get junked up. Because they're empty, and basically they stay that way. And one of the reasons why they are initially empty is because they're so far out of reach. But when we store things up high, we usually forget what's there because we can't see them. They're out of sight. And when we do need them and we reach for them, they come down right on our heads. Kaboom. That's the unfortunate result of putting things up top. So the lesson here is plain. 
using out-of-reach, out-of-sight locations for storage is not at all smart. So what to do? Well, here's my suggestion. Make it impossible to use those spaces for storage. And the way you do that is you give it a little hat. You put a little hat. You put a little metal hat. You can put even some cardboard that's just bent and secured with our friend the duct tape. And the result is nothing can go on top. Nothing on top gets built into the real estate. You see see what good visual thinking that is? We made it impossible not to embrace this principle. This principle has now come, uh, um, has become part of the real estate. And that's principle number two. Let's move on to principle three. Let's see if we can cover two more. I don't think we can, but we'll try. Principle three is capture the full function. And this is something I worked hard on trying to find the right words for. So when work is flowing into and through your area, hospital, bank, manufacturing, you have to remember the full function of each item. And you have to take care not to build up obstruction. For example, you have a cabinet. And you may say the cabinet's function is to hold or to protect, to store things. But its full function, if it has doors, is also the swing of the doors. Because we have to access what's inside by opening the doors. So when we talk about the the function of the cabinet, we have to take into consideration the swing of the doors, and we capture that as well. Later on, we will literally, literally capture it in terms of tape. So for capturing the full function, we look for ways to release the flow of material by looking for unintentional blocks in those flow. And the key here is to capture, as I said, each item's full function, the swing of the doors, the um, the rack that is filled with screens that extend beyond the structure of the rack, maybe two or three feet. If we just put a border, if we just consider the location of function, the rack itself and not the screens that it's built to hold, then we will have a reduced idea of the true function of that rack. And then when we come to border it, we'll just border the rack and forget to border the extension of the screens. Okay, so can you use that principle? Think about that. So look at your map and look at the blue items and even, I was going to say, even look at the the yellow in terms of the swing of their function. For example, doors that open on machines. And And that is a good comment. And look at the swing of the function and make sure to capture that because you don't want to be loading or unloading a machine where some door has to be accessed regularly. And I think you know that. But capture that in your thinking and capture it in relationship to the placement of the other functions that support it. Well, here's one of my favorite. It's called Principle 4, No Doors, No Drawers. I'm not going to have time to go through it. But I love this because there's so many innovative ways to Deal with no doors, no drawers. Adding value is a physical event. It requires our bodies. And in smart placement, we constantly think about 
what our physical bodies have to do in order to access function, what our arms have to do, our legs and our hands. Anything you can do to minimize body movement is a step in the right direction. We're not trying to turn each other into robots, but we really have to ask ourselves, what are the hidden forms of motion? What are What is the moment before motion that is triggering motion? And for example, any cabinet door, any drawer contains the moment before motion. The motion is opening the door because we can't see what's behind it. It's one of the reasons why when we get visual, we put a table of contents in the front. Any times we have to open a drawer in order to find out that what we're looking for is not there, we've done double motion. In fact, that's, and that's avoidable. The motion meter will creep up if after we open that door, we discover that what we're looking for is not there and we have to shut it and walk away empty-handed. And that's just the start. We still haven't found what we set out to find. Information deficits are everywhere with lots of doors and drawers banging open and shut in the aftermath. That's why we say that doors and drawers trigger the first moment of motion and that lots of other moments of motion follow. So, yes, table of contents, but what about this? What about, instead of a Band-Aid, surgery? What about getting rid of the doors and getting rid of the drawers? And there are several ways of doing that. I'm going to mention a couple. One of them is to use, to, to have open-air uh, storage. Instead of having your tools in a drawer, make a little A-frame, guys who are, men and women who are doing machines. Put your tools, your changeover tools on an A-frame. Use both sides and maybe put it on a daisy wheel and rotate it. Get it out of the drawer. You're going to be using that, especially lots of changeovers. You're going to be using that many times during the day. That's good, smart placement thinking. If you have doors and doors are required for security reasons or to protect the contents against contamination, then consider plexiglass instead of opaque metal. You can't see through it. You still get the protection, but you also get information sharing. You can see what is behind the door. Acrylic doors with beautiful addresses. This often happens when you're in um, clean room environments. You can tell at a glance without opening the doors that what I am looking for is there or is not there. In less strict environments, you can use screening. This is often u- very useful when there are expensive tools and you know you have to lock them up. You can still see them there, and yes, unfortunately, you have to find the person with the lock or something like that. But the screening lets you know you've come to the right place. Okay? And sometimes you're going to want to have a lid because it protects you, for example, if you still have a lot of storage around lookalike parts like springs where you can't see compression ratios merely by looking. You want to have lids and make them see-through. This will help a lot. And I remember a group in at Royal Nautobahn Trailers, one of my favorite companies in the world in Holland. One day the guys in final assembly proudly announced to me that they had finally figured out a way to eliminate the first moment of motion on their steel cabinet. I was very excited. They took me over and they showed me (laughs) <laughs> they were welders, you know. They showed me a door where all the middle plant panels were were cut out, and there was barely a frame to, to hold the door together. 
I laughed and I laughed. So they just reached through the holes in the door to pull out what they wanted. <laughs> we laughed a lot. We laughed a lot at that. So we, we've gone through the first four principles of 14 principles. We'll go through quite a few of them next week. I will on the way of, of, uh, on the way to talking about them next week. I will have to talk to you a little bit more about the yellows and about minority reports. But I am sincerely sharing this methodology with you because I want to encourage you to think about that before you lay down the lines. To think about the logic of your flow and how you can change that logic by applying these principles. I like to do it through the maps because I think that those maps really enable people to think in a concrete way even though they're in a somewhat imaginary setting. But they also begin to listen to each other and you begin to build the quality of the people relationships as we have this structure, this framework that the maps allow. So we don't just create the maps to see. We actually create the maps as a point of negotiation. Do you see what I mean? We create people process skills, we create relationships, we begin to appreciate the minds of others and the hearts of others, we have a relationship with them. Do you see? So, um, so we are, we are on our way to smart placement. I hesitated to begin another, another principle because I don't want to cut you off in the middle and leave you hanging. But I hope that you use these. And, you know, I want to say again that you can use smart placement as a standalone piece because it is. And if you've already engaged in, in 5S and you want to go back and refresh, you can do this at any time. You can integrate any of these ideas. You can even shift over to instead of calling it 5S, calling it visual something, visual factory, visual bank, visual office. Visual hospital, visual nursing station, visual supplies, visual dock. So that the message is sent that we are looking for some, some outcome that is not just visual, visionary, imagined, but it is improved and it allows us to function on a different level. Not on a repeat level, not where we're just repeating tasks, but as we perform, these tasks, the thinking part allows us to see them more deeply and more completely. When we really pay attention to our work, the work begins to talk to us, begins to talk to us and reveals its secrets. You do this with your children, you do this with your pets, you do this with your spouse, you spend some time with them, and you just observe and stay in relationship, and suddenly you see things that weren't Revealed to you before. It's the same way in the workplace. The workplace is alive. You certainly know that I am a proponent of that. The workplace is alive. It has much to teach us. It isn't just a building. Okay? So please think about these things. We want to let the workplace speak, but we also want to have a dialogue with our work. I hope that you can put to good use what we've discussed here today, I look so forward to the next time. I'm going to sign off now, and the next time we meet, we will continue with our march through smart placement. After that, we're going to go deeply into borders, much more completely than before. 
as I told you at the beginning of, uh, at the, in December, that we're going to go through now and really get into the details. I've given you the scan, and now we're going to get to the nitty-gritty. We're going to get to the blueprint of the Death Star. We're going to know how this darn thing works. So this is Gwendolyn Galsworth. I had a great time with you today. I look forward to the next time, and now I'm signing off. Thank you. We appreciate your joining us this week for The Visual Workplace, work that makes sense. Please tune in for another episode next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific, featuring your host, Dr. Gwendolyn Galsworth, on the Voice America Business Channel. Thanks again for listening.